Hi, Church. Welcome. Tonight we're reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 13. So I'll just give you a minute to grab your Bibles or phones, whatever your persuasion is. So starting at verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you have rather... Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the, whole, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with the malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral, immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In this case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Thank you, Jamie. Uh, it's always a pleasure to get the good passages to preach on, isn't it? And uh, I look forward to this. Uh, I love the hard stuff. And Matt says, Ange, why don't you preach this week on these topics? Very happy to do that. Just before I get to that, uh, I need to be aware that if you have younger children... We are going to be talking about sex and other matters tonight, so you might want to move them outside sometime, depending on what he said, uh, just alerting you to that. Secondly, um, so you're aware, we, we have a young guy from Florida coming out to work with our church for a week. Um, as you're aware, Americans often go overseas for 10 weeks as summer missionaries. A few years ago, we had some people here, and there's a fellow out here with uh, some others working in western New South, western Sydney, and um, he's been offered to help us in Holiday Club, so he'll join us on Thursday. His name's Noah from Florida, and so if you see him next Sunday, say hello. And the, he's going to be staying with the Whittingham, so thank you to them for hosting him. And he'll work with our holiday club next week, and then he'll go back out west to work with the church out there. So I remember him. Friends, uh, it gets, life gets messy, doesn't it? And I've been involved uh, in church for a long time now, and I've seen all types of different sins and immorality. And we're, <coughs> excuse me, we're talking about... Uh, uh, sexual immorality and godly discipline tonight. Now, let me ask some questions. Uh, two 20-year-old singles in our church who claim to be Christians but openly assert that because they love each other, it's okay to have sex together even though they're not married. What would you say to them? What would you do? Or two men or women who are in a, a sexually active homosexual relationship. They claim to be Christians They've somehow, let me say, twisted the word to justify their immoral behaviour. And they say, it's okay, God is glorified in our behaviour. 
What would you say? What would you do? Or a middle-aged man, married man, begins a relationship with a married woman. He persists in it. He says, no, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm going to continue this relationship. My wife doesn't love me and I like this other woman. What would you say? What would you do? I know of a situation where a male youth pastor had sex and abused a 15-year-old teenager multiple times over a one-year period. What would you do? What should the church do? I know the family where this took or this happened to their son. The church tried to cover it up. The church would not discipline the pastor. The son ended up going to the police to press criminal charges. The hurting family was then ostracized by the church and pushed away. Thankfully, the pastor was then sentenced to time in prison. True judgment took place for his sins and abuse in that situation. Now, 1 Corinthians 5 and 6, Paul deals with ethical and moral disorders within the church in Corinth, and Matt will deal with some of those over the next two weeks as well. He's responding to reports from the Corinthians, saying this is taking place, this is taking place. So Paul knows things, and now he's responding to how to deal with these situations. Now, 1 Corinthians 5 is very relevant to us today. Our society is still sex-obsessed, just like Corinth. And a pastor in California said, I do not think a week goes by that we hear of Christian leaders who are, have forsaken wives, run off with a secretary, fall into homosexuality, or face some kind of moral crisis in their churches. He goes on to refer to 1 and 2 Corinthians as 1 and 2 Californians. He said that's what we're like in California. It's so relevant. So specifically though, specifically what is the key issue here? The problem is stated there's immorality, <coughs> well, in fact it comes under the category of incest. It's actually reported there's sexual immorality among you. Now, just so you're aware, for those who understand a little bit of the Greek, the word used for sexual immorality is pornia, where we get pornography from, which refers to all types of sexual indiscretions, any type of sexual relationships outside of a marriage relationship with a man and a woman. Uh, but this is of a kind that even pagans don't tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? Two parts of the problem here. Number one, there's someone who has his father's wife. And secondly, the church is proud. Uh, literally, it says a man has his father's wife or he's living uh, with her, is having sex with her. And effectively, it's sex with his stepmother. Uh, he, he doesn't mention the mother, his own mother, obviously. Uh, so it seems to be his father's or his own stepmother. And we don't know what happened to the father here. We're not told whether there's been divorce or death or whether he simply seduced his stepmother. Sounds like a television show, doesn't it? In either case, we need to know that this is forbidden in the Old Testament. So Leviticus 18, do not have sexual relations with your father's wife, that would dishonor your father. Deuteronomy 22, a man is not to marry his father's wife, he must not dishonor his father's bed. Deuteronomy 27, curses the man who sleeps with his father's wife, for he dishonors his father's bed then all the people shall say, Amen. And so that, that was quite known for the Jewish people of the day, uh, certain relationships, what you could do, what you couldn't do. It was seen as incest, it was seen as immorality. Um, and Paul says, like, even the pagans think it's a bad practice. Even the pagans. Cicero, uh, who was uh, alive between 143 BC, 
expressed his slightly exaggerated outrage at the marriage of a woman to a son-in-law. He says, oh, to think of the woman's sin, unbelievable, unheard of in all experience, save for this single instance. Uh, But you need to realise that these Corinthians were quite loose, and yet they didn't believe they should do that. And one person, Demosthenes, wrote, we keep mistresses for pleasure, concubines for the day-to-day needs of the body, but we have wives in order to produce children legitimately and have a trustworthy guardian of our homes. That's the non-Christian world of the day where they lived. Paul's concern is not only that this person is uh, living with, having sex with his stepmother, but the church is proud. Instead of the church saying, well, you know, that's not quite right, you shouldn't be doing that. They are proud. Now, maybe they think they now have freedom in Christ. I've heard people say to me, oh, well, I'm free in Jesus now, I'm forgiven, I can do whatever I like. Not true. He says, shouldn't you have gone into mourning and put him out of your fellowship? or the man who's been doing this. So what's the solution? That's the issue, the specific issue here. True mourning would have resulted in the man being put out of your fellowship. Let's think about that. There's no mention of the woman here. Possibly she wasn't part of the fellowship. She may have been an unbeliever. We just don't know. But the man is in the church. So, you know, he could have a relationship with someone. It could be someone, for example, in this church, but he's having a relationship outside, a sinning, a sexual immorality, and, uh, but the woman is not mentioned because she doesn't come to church here. Now, how do you respond to Paul's instruction? But the whole idea, well, let's put him out of the fellowship. Let's kick him out, excommunicate him, try to get a message across that what you were doing is ungodly, it's dishonoring to God, there are repercussions of that. See, we're not talking about the odd sin here. We're talking about someone who persists in rebellious, sinful living while claiming to be a Christian. Action needs to take place. And a number of times in ministry, I've had someone who's continued to be in sin, we've had to then discipline them. And discipline is for the good of the individual and for the good of the Christian community. It says, for my part, even though I'm not physically present, Paul says, I'm with you in spirit. He says, I'm not there But picture me there in spirit. As the one who is present with you in this way, I've already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and the one who's doing this. The man is wrong. So when you're assembled and I'm with you in spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh or the sinful nature so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. So what's he getting at? What does it mean to hand someone over to Satan? Well, when you become a Christian... You come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, to Jesus' people, right? So Satan's kingdom is in the kingdom of darkness. So it's saying, really, what you need to do is say, you are clearly not a Christian. And notice here the church is allowed to judge. Sometimes it's, oh, we're not allowed to judge other believers. Yes, we are. (laughs) We're called to judge within the church to ensure we protect the holiness of the church. And the whole idea is that you move them out of the fellowship in some way, In the first century, by the way, they used to meet in houses. So it's pretty easy to say, don't come to my house today. (laughs) Right? Don't come. Our church used to meet in a house and uh, a bit harder in churches. We'll get to that in a moment. The aim of handing him over to Satan or Satan's realm is to hope that he would then see his stupidity, his sinfulness, and then return back to God. That's the point of it. So that his sinful nature may be destroyed. 
Now, two ways people have understood this, so his sinful nature may be destroyed. Some think, well, you're handing him over to Satan, that he would suffer physically, maybe even die, like Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. Remember, they lied to the Holy Spirit, God judged them immediately. I don't think it's getting to that, because I think that his sinful nature, his flesh may be destroyed, is normally a reference to the fact that his rebelliousness and his sinfulness, uh, he'll come face to face with that, and that God would change his heart that he will no longer listen to the sinful nature, but will now listen to the spirit again and come back. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, Paul described how he handed two believers over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. So presumably they didn't die. Right? So it's not about dying, it's about having your character changed. So no longer living according to the sinful nature. The end result of the judgment, the destruction of the flesh is remedial. The destruction of the flesh is remedial. Um, can we get it? Yep. Uh, the hope is that as the sinner is placed out of there, the actual separation from God's church could cause him to rethink his position, repent and rejoin God's church. Remember the community and thus his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. The point what is, you're sinning badly, you need to come to your senses, you need to wake up, you need to repent so that you would be saved on the day of the Lord. So it's not judgment, go away, we don't want to see you any longer. You may have to discipline someone for a period so that they can come back to Christ and obey him. Now, Jesus, let me take you to what Jesus said when uh, people sin against each other in Matthew 18. It said, if your brother <coughs> sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. When there's a problem, there's sinfulness, you seek reconciliation. But if you will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Someone will say, well, I haven't done anything wrong. And we have witnesses, and if, if there's someone constantly going out getting drunk every night, or someone else is uh, sleeping around, or someone else is cheating and lying and stealing money, and we know about it, sometimes it needs to go beyond the one-on-one -on -one to a few people gathering, often pastors and leaders in the church. And then sometimes, though, if he refuses to listen, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Private conversation, discussion in the presence of witnesses, public confrontation by the entire church. Now, in all my time here, we haven't taken a matter to a church business meeting to remove anyone from membership. Praise God, right? Because <laughs> what normally happens in Australia if they, you have a disagreement with a pastor or the other church leaders? You know what they do? They just go to another church down the street. <laughs> That's what they do. So we're in a different situation. Well, they go to another place and they, they don't deal with their sin and their, their fallenness had people who leave their Christian wives and go to another church and marry someone else. Another minister will do it because they don't know all the story. And often it's hard to get, to get good communication uh, with different churches. So in applying this to us, the point is we don't tolerate sin. We've sung about a holy God. We need to be careful that we judge rightly with wisdom. A church discipline is not simply the affair of one or a few. Ultimately, some things will have to come to the church. The reason for discipline is remedial, not judgmental. We're always looking to help a brother or sister who's caught in sin to come back to Jesus. Isn't that true? We're always praying, always hoping they will come and turn back to Jesus. And so you think, well, what type of sins would de demand such severe measures of discipline to be initiated? And I think it's the type of sins that can affect the whole congregation. Where someone starts to teach or act in a certain way, then others get seduced and they say, oh, well, that's not a bad idea. Yeah, 
For example, someone starts to teach, well, I think same-sex marriage is good. And you start to talk with others, and all of a sudden there's five people now who think it's good. Before you know it, there's ten who think it's good. And uh, so they are now moving in a whole new direction in their teaching. And that's happened to churches and whole denominations where they've moved from historic Bible teaching. That's just one example where we've seen it happen in Australia even today. I must say also, one of the things we notice uh, among young adults over the last few years, I'm not sure how it is at the moment, but sometimes the, a drinking culture develops. Drinking culture leads to, to drinking in excess. You don't always know when you cross the line, uh, then you're drinking to excess, you, you're saying inappropriate things. Other people then say, well, you know, they, they drink, so you all drink. Before you know it, you have big drinking parties and people are sinning and, uh, and being drunk and ungodly. And that comes up a bit later as well. So we need to make sure that the way we work together is to pursue holiness and, um, and the glory of God in all we do. I said earlier, the problem for the discipline in the Western world is people just go to another church. Disagree with the pastor, uh, disagree with someone else, you go somewhere else, and that's very difficult. In large Western churches like ours, disfellowship might mean that the person is removed from membership and not permitted to join in on events specifically for Christians, for example. Ongoing contact might continue, but not as a brother in Christ. You still love people, but you, you are treating them as a non-Christian until they repent. Uh, about 20 years ago, there was a, um, a young couple coming to our church here, and uh, I went to visit them in their home, and uh, <coughs> they said to me, and you do know that we're gay, we're in a gay relationship. And I said, well, t- how'd you end up here? in a gay relationship. And why did you come to our church? I said, we really love your church at night. We're so good, the worship, the preaching, the teaching. I said, well, tell me about your lives. And they told me about how uh, they used to be, or, you know, Christians, but they struggled with same-sex attraction. Ultimately, he said, the fellow said, I'm just ignoring the word of God because this is, I think, how I am. And I said, are we welcome at your church? And the other day I received an email from someone. I said, hi, uh, <coughs> excuse me, um, I'm bisexual, and um, I'd like to know God better. Am I welcome at your church? And I said, well, everyone's welcome at our church, heterosexual, same-sex attracted, bisexual, or whatever it happens to be. Uh, but you need to understand that you're most welcome, but what we're going to be teaching, just so you're aware, from the Bible, we're going to be teaching that God wants us to love him, to follow him, and to restrict sex within a marriage relationship of a man and woman. And that's part of our teaching. And this other gay, gay couple, I said, you know, you must welcome to come. We'd love to open up the word of God with you and, um, and uh, hopefully God will change your life. Now, they didn't come back. They probably ended up at a, at a gay church later. But we want to make it clear that we cannot allow teaching contrary to the word of God to start to influence others in a congregation. I must say, uh, on a... On a positive note, I've spoken to males and females in our congregations over the years who are in that same uh, sex area. They are same-sex attracted, but they're faithful to God and they're celibate. They said, no, no, God's word is very clear. Uh, Sex is for marriage between a man and a woman. I'm struggling with these uh, desires and temptations, but I'm going to love God, I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to ask that he will provide all that I need. And there are many Christians like that who are living God-honouring lives. Now, other heterosexuals have shared with me lapses into sexual immorality with boyfriends or girlfriends or visiting a brothel or massage, inappropriate massage parlour, which gives you a little bit more than a normal massage. And I said, oh, I've sinned in that way. And uh, we've asked people to stand down from leadership 
For months, we've asked people to get help. Uh, we've followed them up with mentors because we, in every area, we want people to pursue sexual purity. And this one's important to the witness of the church in the community because the community will know if there are people being ungodly in your local church and that will bring dishonor to God. Secondly, uh, discipline is necessary for the good of the Christian community. It's good for the person that you act on it, you, you hand them over to Satan so they can come wake up and they can come back to God. But also, it's good for the Christian community because we need to protect the whole church. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Every time I read that, I say, what, Paul, what are you going on about? Right? Talking about festivals and leaven and so on. The main point is this, a bit of evil can harm the whole. Just like the leaven is put in and it influences the whole batch of dough and in the bread, a little sin can come in and spread throughout the whole community and people will fail. Gordon Fee writes, in the New Testament, leaven became a symbol of the process by which an evil spreads insidiously in the community until the whole has been infected by it. Jesus warned, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and of, the Her and of Herod. So it was in Corinth. Their problem was they were not taking this matter seriously, either the evil itself or the danger of being thoroughly contaminated by it. He says, don't allow evil to start, to stay, because it will contaminate the whole church. Get rid of the old yeast leaven. You may be a new match without yeast or, or yeast or leaven. In the Old Testament, the Jewish people, and even the New Testament, they celebrate a seven-day festival called the Festival of Unleavened Bread. They're not permitted to eat anything that was leavened. So Christians, on the basis of Christ's crucifixion, had to keep an ongoing feast of the celebration of God's forgiveness by holy living. Don't be like that. You don't contaminate yourself. Be holy. Bring glory to God in all that you do. Having said all of that, he now deals with another problem. Strict discipline within, freedom of association without. In other words, they were saying, well, are we allowed to mix with non-Christians who are immoral? Are we allowed to mix with our friends who are you know, sleeping with their boyfriends. Are we allowed to mix with our friends who go out and get drunk uh, at a nightclub? Are we allowed, what's, what about that? I said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy, or the swindlers, or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. He says, expel the wicked person from among you. So they misunderstood the whole idea of discipline. They thought about they couldn't hang out with the non-Christians. No, no, that's not what it's about. And uh, you're allowed to go and mix with your friends because how else will they ever hear about Jesus, right? As long as you don't get caught up in their sin. And that's the other thing. Sometimes you say, I'm going to hang out with my non-Christian friends and we go to certain places. And before you know it, you're acting like them. You're drinking like them. You're speaking like them. Uh, you're behaving like them. Be amongst them to have a positive influence. Well, I like the fact that he moves now beyond the sexual sins to greed, to idolatry. It means worshipping other gods, fashion, technology, success, slanderous, 
They're slandering leaders, misrepresenting people's opinions, character associ uh, assassination, drunkards, casual attitude to the sin of drunkenness that leads to destruction of relationships and, and people's lives. A swindler, some of you are robbers, They're, you're cheats, you, you rob people. He says, don't live like that, but rather, you're free to associate with sinful non-Christians. Love them. At university, at school, uh, in your workplaces. We need to be amongst people who don't know Jesus yet, so we can tell them about the good news that Christ died and rose again for us. So in your sporting teams, your hobby groups, or your school councils, whatever it is, wherever you're, you're hanging out. <coughs> Excuse me. Let me conclude. One writer says this, the world is waiting to see a church which takes sin seriously, which enjoys forgiveness fully, which in its time of gathering together combines joyful celebration with an awesome sense of God's immediacy and authority. We gather tonight in God's name, pursue holiness, and in a moment we're going to go to the Lord's Supper, which reminds us that Jesus died for our sins, and we can stand right before God. But standing right before God also calls us to uh, what the Bible calls sanctification, holiness. Let's not just be forgiven, but let's be transformed. But then also that will never happen if we refuse to come into costly, compassionate contact with men and women of the world. We need to be men and women who are out there mixing with unbelievers so they can come to know Jesus through the preaching of the gospel. I pray we never have to excommunicate someone via a church business meeting. But I'm more interested in that we look out for each other. If you're young adults looking out for each other, youth looking out for each other. If you see one of your friends being tempted in some way, get alongside them and say, you know, are you okay? Um, you know, you want me to come with you? It's a difficult situation. Or, and, or husbands or, or wives who might be tempted to go into a, an adulterous relationship. We need to be brothers and sisters who look out for each other. And if we see where someone's heading into a place, uh, sometimes we don't say anything. We think, oh, you know, it's not my place to say anything. It is our place, brothers and sisters. If we're brothers and sisters, we're called to come in and say what we can to help each other to pursue holiness and godliness. Amen.